Welcome to this week's edition of Radio Beacon, the podcast of Beacon Communications. I'm Dan Kittredge, editor of the Cranston Herald. I'm joined with, uh, by Jake Morocco, editor of the Johnson Sunrise. Jake, how are you hanging in today? I'm all right, Dan. I'm all right. Batting yeah. back some anxiety, you know, as yes, we all are, I, but uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. It, it's been uh, quite a week since we last uh, recorded. Um, obviously, people are by now well aware of the situation, the COVID-19 crisis that has reached mm-hmm. Rhode Island and is affecting the nation and the world. Um, I'll note at the top here, uh, uh, Tiger Allen, reporter with the Warwick Beacon, normally joins us. He's working from home today, uh, as is Alex Sponsler, our sports editor. They're both working leads and, and chasing stories remotely. Um, you know, they're, one of, uh, they're among the, the many, many folks who are working from home at this difficult time. Um, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot to cover. Um, you know, we've, uh, in, in Warwick and Cranston, uh, are under declarations of emergency. Um, you know, the Mayor Fung, uh, yesterday, we're recording this Thursday, announced, uh, tax deadline has been delayed, um, by a month in Cranston. Similar measures taken in Warwick with taxes and utility payments, uh, Johnston, I know, has closed um, mm-hmm. a lot of its municipal buildings. Yes. Um, postponed meetings. Postponed and, meetings. Uh, ca- gatherings uh, of boards and commissions for indefinitely. Yeah. So, Cranston City Council is set to meet in a few hours to uh, to vote to formally extend Mayor Fung's declaration of emergency. Um, throughout all the communities, uh, senior centers, um, recreation departments, libraries have been closed. Uh, the the edict from the state continues to be, um, you know, practice social distancing, take take real precautions to protect yourself and others. Um, you know, the the state that received high marks this week from uh, I believe it was Wallet Hub that mm-hmm. uh, um, put Rhode Island at the top of the list in terms of its response, right. the aggressiveness of its response to this crisis, which is mm-hmm. encouraging. Um, the governor has been holding daily. Press briefings, along with health, excuse me, state health director Nicole Alexander Scott and others. Um, yesterday uh, was a, a big day um, on the statewide level. I mean, obviously, this entire week has been. But mm. yesterday, the governor announced uh, a jump to 33 of, uh, confirmed cases in the state. That was 10 that were announced yesterday of COVID-19. That was. Uh, the single biggest one-day jump we've seen yet, although I guess it's important to note that proportionally, uh, you know, other days were larger as the numbers were smaller. Right, right. But, um, you know, the, the, they're working to uh, ramp up testing, they say, that they're focusing on, um, you know, healthcare personnel, on people in nursing homes and, and congregant settings like that, um, trying to make sure that those people, they're identifying the people that are most at risk and... Really, the focus is on avoiding overwhelming the healthcare system. Um, so we can expect more cases. Um, the testing has ramped up at the state level. The figures show that day to day. And the governor has been, uh, and Dr. Scott, Alexander Scott, have been saying, you know, that ramping up testing will be a way to get a fuller sense of the scope of this problem. Um, you know, and at that point, the containment efforts the approach might be able to change and we've seen that in other affected areas as well but it's just a, a limited data they're working with and so <clears throat> that requires kind of the 
the intensive social distancing and shutdown measures. Obviously, earlier, uh, the other big announcement from yesterday was uh, that um, K through 12 schools will be closed through uh, at least April 3rd, although the governor was pretty frank in saying that that is, it is very unlikely that um, we'll be, the schools will be reopening at that point um, or that life, day-to-day life will be returning to normal at any point in the foreseeable future, frankly. She said it, this will be months, not weeks, um, that we're dealing with this. The implications across all segments of society have, have increasingly become uh, plain, and they're, they're pretty frightening. Um, economically, you know, we see that the unemployment applications in the state have jumped dramatically. It was nearly 20,000 over the last week, I believe, as of yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, bars and restaurants, particularly under orders announced on Monday earlier this week, um, as folks are, are aware now. Uh, dine-in service has been prohibited, drive-through, takeout, and that stuff is allowed to go on. But I know I was talking to Councilman Ed Brady in Cranston, who's part of the ownership group at the Thirsty Beaver. They have four establishments, one in uh, Rentham, Foxborough, and Mass, and the other three um, locally here. And, you know, I could could tell, I mean, it it, it was a difficult, he was shaking. It's a very tough time. And he was talking about the the, you know, weather remaining open on a takeout and dine, you know, pickup basis and through services like Grubhub and, and things like that, whether that's going to be viable. You know, for him, he said it was a situation where they were going to reevaluate at the end of the week. Um, there are countless other stories like that um, throughout the community. You know, we've seen a lot of, uh, a lot of great response, though. Um, people are, are finding ways to cope are finding ways to help their neighbors. Um, I know from a, a Cranston perspective, I've been kind of most focused on the statewide level and on Cranston. Um, there's been an effort online to uh, connect volunteers uh, with members of the community who are most at risk, get them help with whatever they need, grocery delivery, medication pickup, stuff like that. Uh, Councilman John Donegan was involved in helping to marshal that effort. Um, and, you know, we've seen uh, other, the, the Rhode Island Foundation and the United Way had a big announcement. They've created this response fund, which immediately raised a million and a half dollars, uh, a bunch of corporate sponsors. That was a really cool thing to see. And um, hopefully their efforts uh, with the help of, of individuals and corporations and, and others throughout the state can really help boost that fund and uh, help provide assistance to nonprofits that are serving a lot of the most vulnerable vulnerable folks among us. Um, you know, we've seen supermarket change, chains offer special morning hours for uh, folks over the age of 60 because uh, health experts say they're, they're one of the most at-risk populations, um, the most uh, vulnerable to complications from the virus and, and all that entails. So, um, you know, we've just seen people coping in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of what we're seeing is, is really disturbing and heartbreaking, but a lot of what we're seeing, too, is, uh, speaks to the resilience of, <clears throat> of the community. And yep. this is just such an unprecedented situation. Um, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like wartime. You know, I don't know. Yep. You see allusions to, like, World War II. You see allusions to uh, Steve Frias uh, wrote a, a column for us this week. A uh, local historian wrote a, a really illuminating column that it's going to appear in our papers about the uh, the state's response to the 1918 uh, flu pandemic and and you know liking uh, comparing the two and and some of the lessons that can be taken, but it, we're talking that kind of historical scope 
to find context and comparisons. It's really, um, Jake, what are you, uh, what are you seeing out it's, there? It's surreal, really. I mean, you drive around and you know, I stopped by a few local businesses in Johnston the past couple of days and signs up, chairs up. Uh, it's, you know, some, uh, I went to a place in Warwick today. They had their door locked. They were just doing the, the drive through option. It's, it, I think incomparable. I I I've a, I asked Superintendent Delulo, who's been the superintendent of Johnson for a decade, and he's been in education for longer than that, obviously. And I said straight up to him, "Have you ever seen anything like this before?" And he said, "No. You know, when swine flu happened, it was nothing like this. SARS was nothing like this." And I think, obviously, I'm you know I'm no doctor, so I'm not giving advice or anything. But I think, or any sort of you know medic, don't don't lend credence to my medical knowledge. But I think what's, you know, the biggest scare factor is how it is extremely contagious. Mm-hmm. That is, and the symptoms are so similar to other illnesses like the cold or the flu or it, that you don't know. And, I, and like Dr. Scott has said many times in the press conferences, the treatment is the same mm-hmm. for the flu and for the coronavirus. It's just a matter of if those symptoms are worsened and you require medical attention or hospitalization. It's, I think those are the two scariest factors, that it is very contagious, obviously, that it profoundly affects the elderly and those with pre-existing conditions. That is terrifying, and you don't want to spread that, and that's why I think they're, they're closing all these places down to prevent that spread because it desperately wants to infect people. That's just what it wants. It wants yeah. to spread, multiply. And it's it's a scary it, it's just scary how contagious it is how you can't really tell that it's not like I think uh, these are there are two two really important points I just want to jump in and make one is yeah, yeah. that you know like you're saying you know the, I think that the behavior of the virus remains the full scope of the virus's behavior remains unknown to health mm-hmm. officials which is part of why the response is so drastic because they there's really uncertainty about you know, whether there'll be seasonal changes in its behavior, you know, it seems like there's still some uh, lack of clarity about exactly how transmittable it is when people are asymptomatic. Right. So I think, you know, my understanding from the perspective of health officials is that's why they're, they're urging such aggressive action. Um, and why on the testing side, why, they are so focused on those frontline folks and the most at-risk folks, again, to avoid, you know, Dr. Scott, Dr. Alexander Scott has said repeatedly this week. Dr. Alexander No, it's okay. She's, uh, (laughs) it's been a long week. Yeah, it's been. Um, You know, people, a lot of people ask, why can't I get tested? Why, or you've heard stories about people returning from trips abroad and having symptoms and wanting to get tested. Um, and while as they, my understanding is that as they ramp up testing capability, that they have been limited because of the lack of broad availability. Yeah. But that, um, you know, the, the medical advice that she says is exactly how you put it, Jake, that if you have mild, moderate symptoms, being uh, receiving a positive diagnosis through testing is not going to change the right. treatment protocol. Right. So folks are advised to, you know, self-quarantine at that point. To recover, um, you know, and and to save the testing at this point, which is still limited, even though they've ramped up local capability um, for uh, for folks that 
you know, are, are either critical to the health system functioning or at the most high risk of suffering complications or of, um, you know, spreading it to others. Yeah. So, and even, again, as they, they are hopefully going to be ramping up um, testing, um, there's been action on the federal level uh, the last couple of days. We'll see how things go. Um, you know, it's, it's both a massive public health crisis and a massive, uh, un- <laughs> relatively unprecedented economic crisis. You know, we, we were there through the, uh, the housing market collapse and the financial market and, uh, and the, the recession that followed that. And this, this has the potential to be extremely significant and long-lasting from an economic perspective. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Um, so with that, that's been... Uh, Our str- week. I'm struggling to find other headlines from this week. Yes. You can... Um, that's really all I got. Yeah. yeah. We did uh, strongly... Uh, Strongly urge all of our readers, all in the community, we've been doing our best to uh, share consistent and robust updates on what's happening across our platforms, on social media, online. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Rody Dan K, Rody Dan K, R H O D Y, or excuse me, R H O D Y D A N K. You can follow Jake. What's your? Uh... I am at Jacob. J-A-C-O-B underscore Morocco. That is Amazon Michael, A-R-R-O-C-C-O. But it, it's it's a tough last name to spell <laughs> for a lot of people. And pronounce, hey, for that matter. I have the same issue. Yes. I got Kitterid, Kit, Kitrich. I got uh, a Kitrich. lot of extra I's and E's thrown in there. Yeah, yeah. We, we know. It's a plight shared by both of us. I've got your name down very well right by this point. That's good. That's good. I hope. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> um, in terms of elsewhere, uh, you can follow our main... Uh, at Roadie Beat Twitter, uh, that's uh, the Twitter for account for all of our publications. Um, online at WarwickOnline.com, CranstonOnline.com, and JohnsonSunrise.net. We've been working to provide regular daily updates on um, the state level. We're awaiting the governor is set to be speaking again in just a few minutes as we're recording this and providing the latest update. So you can check us out online and on social media on Facebook. Um, to find, uh, you know, just we're, we're, we're working to share news as it breaks. We're working to provide daily updates on the state level. And we'll be staying with you uh, as the situation develops. You know, we, we had a, an editorial that ran this week, and we tried to be pretty, pretty frank that, you know, just like this is affecting every business and every family um, and every organization, it's, it's going to affect us too. And you know, we don't quite know what lies ahead and there'll probably be some changes in store uh in terms of our approach and, and how we're doing things but we are committed to keeping our communities informed to uh to sharing with you the the stories that are important um and to helping uh, helping to document you know this this situation as it unfolds um with all of that said this week we uh we wanted to uh Break up uh, the seriousness a little bit. Bring bring a little light back uh, to our to our listeners. Uh, and um, we recorded recently. Uh, you know, a big another big uh, aspect of all this is obviously its its effect on sports. The world of sports has been brought to a, a standstill um, from the professional level on down. Uh, high school spring seasons have been postponed pretty much indefinitely at this point. It, it doesn't seem likely they'll be back on the fields and the courts anytime soon. It's hard to imagine they will be if 
all school moves online, so yeah. I'm not sure how that would exactly work. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, that, that's just un- unprecedented. Yeah. It really is. But, uh, you know, in, in baseball, clearly it's, uh, you know, the Paw Sox may have played their last game in Pawtucket at this point, and, right. uh, you know, for, for baseball, those, those who had baseball fever brewing before this all uh, emerged, myself and, and Jake, I know, among them, uh, you know, we're looking for uh, for outlets for for ways to connect with the game, mm-hmm. to connect with that uh, that spring and summer feeling that uh, we don't know when we're going to get again. We had the pleasure of inviting in recently Will Gagan. He's uh, one of the best in the business here locally. He's the former sports editor of the Warwick Beacon, the Cranston Herald, the Johnson Sunrise. He's currently the sports editor of the Independent newspaper, uh, and Will. Uh, Recently published, uh, it's just coming out, um, I forget, uh, I, th- I think the official release date is in a couple weeks, but yeah. copies have started trickling out to people that have pre-ordered. Mm-hmm. Um, he has written a book called Summer Baseball Nation. It documents uh, his journey um, to uh, a number of the summer collegiate leagues across the nation mm-hmm. over uh, a few weeks Um uh, a couple summers ago, mm-hmm. um, I know he's been. It was a real passion project for him, and uh, it's something he's been working on for a long time. So we thought it would be a wonderful opportunity to uh, to catch up with him to uh, get a plug for his book, which I am very excited to read. Yes, um, yes indeed. So we'll have that coming up for you next. Our chat with Will Gagan, um, and after that, I think Jake maybe we'll pop back in in lieu of a regular sports update yeah. this week. Yeah, for we sure. might chat about the other big news that was dropped on uh, all of New England this week. Yeah, uh, Tom Terrific, <laughs> Tom Brady taking his talents to Tampa Bay. Uh, pretty, it was a pretty grim day for. Uh, Pats fans on St. Patrick's Day of all days with yep. celebrations canceled and raining and uh, waking up to the news that arguably the greatest football player right. there's ever been is uh, is leaving the Pats franchise after 20 yep. pretty unprecedented years of success. So we'll, uh, we'll, here, here coming up is our chat with, with Will Gagan and we'll return for a little fun, uh, well, not so fun, but right. lighter Patriots <laughs> talk after that. All right, welcome. We're here on Radio Beacon with Will Gagan, former sports editor of uh, the War Beacon, Cranston Herald, uh, current sports editor at the Independent newspaper, and author of his first book, just coming out, uh, Summer Baseball Nation, Nine Days in the Woodbat Leagues. Will, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's, Thank you. Uh, me. Good to be back. I've it's not my first podcast in this in this <laughs> podcast studio. That's true. That's true. You and Kevin had a lot. Of <laughs> yes, we had a lot of football podcasts back in the day. Yeah, yeah, those were good times. So, tell me uh, a little bit about the genesis of this book. How the idea came about. I know you're a, a huge baseball guy, obviously. Yeah, I've always been a baseball fan. So, I mean, I guess you could uh, kind of trace it back all the way to uh, my family used to vacation on Cape Cod um, when we were, when I was growing up. Uh, I'm from. I was born in Louisville, Kentucky. My parents are from Boston, um, so that was always like an annual trip up back back home for them. And we went to the Cape and went to a lot of Cape League games. And that's obviously a pretty pretty high quality brand of baseball for you know, for anyone who doesn't know. It's the the summer collegiate league and uh, college baseball players. And the Cape League brings the top ones um, to the Cape. They play a full summer schedule, about 44 games. A lot of scouts watching. 
um, and, and those guys, you're going to see major league players at those games. Yeah. Uh, you know, in a few years, those guys, maybe the next year they'll be drafted. A couple years after that, you're going to see them, you know, potentially make it big. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I always was always sort of fascinated with that, um, just being able to see those guys in that setting yeah. where you're you can reach out and like you know touch them and they're throwing foul balls at people and you're getting autographs and running the bases it's really community environment but big time baseball too Um, so that was you know that was always just something fun to watch and just as a a kid growing up liking baseball it was really cool to go to those games and just to see a guy in the major league and say oh we saw him in this game and we saw that guy in the all-star game remember that so it it was really cool uh, and then when I moved here and came to the Beacon, um, soon after that, I uh, started a website um, kind of keeping tabs on the Cape Cod League called Right Field Fog. Okay. Been doing that um, pretty much ever since. That's more than 10 years now. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't get to that many games, but mm-hmm. they have all their stats online and stuff. So it's just kind of like I just do like daily roundups. Yeah. And from that, I just, I, I sort of started catching on to other summer leagues around the country. The Cape League is not alone. They're, they're the top league, but there are other good leagues. Mm-hmm. And basically every college baseball player, Division One, Two, II, and Three, junior college, is playing summer ball somewhere. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're, and they're really cool, cool places. They're cool uh, storylines. They're great teams. So it just kind of struck me one day, you know, there have been a lot of books, or not a lot, but there have been a few books about the Cape League there have been there's been a documentary about the Cape League, a documentary about the Alaska League, which is another one of the big ones. Mm. But there hadn't been anything that kind of looked at the whole summer baseball nation. Yeah. <laughs> um, hence the title. So uh, yeah, just I just had the idea and decided to kind of take the plunge, reach out to people uh, in the summer or well, before the summer of 2016. Uh, reached out to some people who I wanted to kind of highlight and some trips I wanted to make, and everyone was was super welcoming and said, yeah, that's awesome, um, and ended up being a really cool summer, and then went from there, and four years later, here we are. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about the journey that summer? How, how long were you out on the road? How many places did you go? Yeah, so uh, it was it, it's, so it's nine days in the Woodbat League, so that's kind of... It, it was kind of hard to like wrap, wrap my head around how to structure it when I first had the idea. Like I wanted to go to all these places, but I didn't know exactly how that would work. Uh, and then the idea of nine days, like just picking like these these specific nine days yeah. to like kind of represent everything. And it's obviously about more than that, mm-hmm. but that's kind of the the narrative that it follows. Um, in the nine inning structure. In the nine, exactly. Yeah, so matches up with baseball. The book was actually originally called Summer Nine. And then uh, I just wrote Summer Baseball Nation within the book somewhere, mm. and the publisher was like, that is a better title, yeah. <laughs> so, and I agreed, so, uh, so we went with that. But yeah, so uh, uh, I would have liked to do like nine days consecutively, mm. um, but travel was kind of tough with that, with yeah. where I wanted to go, and I was also still had a job at the time, mm. still working and trying to fit it in. Um, so I started on, on the Cape uh, in Ketuit, Massachusetts, and kind of focused on the Katua Cataliers, who are kind of one of the more storied uh, franchises in the Cape League. They've won the most championships of any team. And uh, they have a really cool tradition at their first practice of the summer. 
they you know they meet they they meet and greet and they do all this stuff. They coach talks about expectations and then they play wiffle ball. Yeah, wow. um, just kind of like a, a reminder to them that like all right, like it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. Like this is gonna be a lot of pressure this summer. It's a big chance to prove yourself, but let's have fun too. Wiffle ball is fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so that's where it started, and, and, and that, that chapter kind of sets everything up uh, and, and sort of looks at the beginnings of, of where we're going to go from there. Um, so then the next stop was Newport, Rhode Island, uh, for the Newport Gulls, yeah. who are, are one of the, really one of the premier teams in the country. Um, they average more than 2,000 fans a game at Cardines Field. Mm-hmm. If you've never been there, you really, you've got to go to a game there. Uh, it's pretty fantastic. Um, and they're just a tremendous organization there. And the New England Collegiate Baseball League, which is sort of a tier below the Cape League, um, but still pretty solid. And they they bring in the best players of, of any team in that league. They, they bring in guys from Vanderbilt and, and Louisville, UCLA, like powerhouse programs. Yeah. So that so I went there. Obviously, that wasn't a long, long trip. <laughs> um, you know, caught up with them. And then from there, went to Alaska. Uh, Fairbanks, Alaska. That's wild. Yeah, that was that was pretty wild. Trip. When you think baseball, you don't think. I know you don't Alaska. think baseball. It's incredible though. You you uh, you go to the, their field where this this team plays, the Alaska Gold Panthers, and it's all around, team. yeah, <laughs> all around there are there are baseball fields. There's like ten baseball fields. Wow. Like it's like a complex all around. It's just it matches up with with summer for them in Alaska because there's you know the sun's out all the time. Yeah. It's nice and warm. Uh, so it's, it's actually has baseball has like kind of a foothold in Alaska, like a lot of Legion ball, and then the Alaska League um, has been really, really good over the years. Um, it has it has dipped a little bit recently, but back in the day, I mean, they had Barry Bonds, uh, Dave Winfield, wow. Tom Seaver, all those guys played up in Alaska. Um, so I went for the Midnight Sun game, which is was was definitely the most uh, kind of like bucket list type game that I had, that I felt like had to get in the book. So that's a game that they start at uh, 9 p.m. Alaska time, and they play you know, through midnight. Actually, yeah. maybe it's 10 p.m. I, I wrote the book. I wrote this a while ago. <laughs> I lost track. Um, but it, it starts late, and they play through midnight, uh, and the sun you know, doesn't really really set. It, yeah. it kind of sets, but it's, you get basically twilight that kind of just lasts forever, and then two, two hours later it gets bright again. Yeah. Uh, so that's a, that was a pretty cool atmosphere. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, it was California. I went straight from Alaska to California to the Santa Barbara Foresters, who are a really, uh, really successful uh, team out there. Their their manager is uh, kind of believed to be the all-time winningest active uh, manager in Summer Bowl. And then back to the Cape, and uh, following that, Went to the Northwoods League, which is a, a really good league up in like Minnesota, Upper Midwest, okay. Wisconsin, up there. Um, so that was Kenosha, Wisconsin, and that was another really cool stop where they did a home run derby into Lake Michigan. Like they were oh, wow. home plate was like at on the pier at, uh, in like Kenosha Harbor. Wow! Uh, so that was pretty fun too. And then the last uh, the last two trips were um, Washington D.C., where they have the D.C. Grays, who are in the Cal Ripken Collegiate League, and they uh, they're a big kind of like community team. Um, they like have adopted uh, a middle school team. They, they run the RBI program there, which okay. is reviving baseballs in the inner cities. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a cool element, different than than most summer ball teams. 
and then uh, pen, uh, the Peninsula Pilots, who were down in like southern um, Virginia, Hampton, Virginia, Newport mm-hmm. News area, and they they uh, they play in a, a stadium that's uh, it's very old. That was actually designed by Branch Rickey, the oh, uh, yeah. former Dodgers general manager, um, the guy who integrated Major League Baseball yeah. with Jackie Robinson. Um, so they they had a long history of minor league teams there and then, then the minor league team the last one left and it was you know the stadium was in danger of getting demolished and and then this team comes along and they've been hugely successful yeah. uh, and then it ended uh, back where it started on Cape Cod yeah. yeah that sounds like a just a baseball fan it was dream. awesome yeah I mean like regardless of the book like I at the time I didn't have I wasn't sure what was going to happen publishing wise but it was just a really cool summer regardless yeah like I would, I would do it again <laughs> how did you connect to get it published how did that all play out yeah so I uh, you know after so I think it was like the next spring I, I wanted to get like a good chunk of it done uh-huh. just to to not get bogged down um, and then I, I was sending out query letters to agents um, and that's you know that's that's tends to be the best way into to publishing because a, a publisher may not look at something a random person sends, but if an agent they know sends something, then it, it carries a little more weight. Yeah. So I found an agent, Rob Wilson, um, who's a, he's actually a former baseball player and has a lot has a big baseball catalog, and he was willing to take a chance on a first-time author. And then um, he has a you know, pretty good connection with the University of Nebraska Press, who puts out four or five baseball books a year. That's it's one of their kind of niche uh, niche areas and. Uh, yeah, they. I'm really, really lucky to be part of it um, yeah. with them uh, and to be like in that baseball catalog. That's great. Yeah. And I mentioned the the midnight game as a kind of bucket bucket list thing. Yeah. Were there any other standout anecdotes or experiences from from the journey or that that are outlined in the book? Um. So I mean, the the home run derby thing was pretty cool too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they had like thousands of people there, just like lining the, this harbor that was like perfectly shaped to, <laughs> to be for, for a home run derby. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. And that was fun to talk to the um, the guys from the Kenosha Kingfish organization who um, like kind of organized that. Like they they had the idea and, and they do they do all kinds of crazy stuff. Like mm-hmm. the, the Northwoods League is very much like a has kind of like that minor league type vibe with a lot a lot of promotions. They try crazy stuff. Like there's some of the some of them are listed in the book. The things they've done, it's just just ridiculous. Yeah. There's like they they did uh, I think it was like I don't remember what it was called, but basically they they buried or they dropped a diamond somewhere on the field and, and had people look look for it like, to bring fans. Yes, yes, a diamond on the diamond had fit to try to get fans to come out. That's right. Um, yeah, so it was just like really random stuff like that. So it was cool to hear them talk about that idea. And it was just like once the idea came to them, to them, there was no back and forth. They were just like, "Yeah, we gotta find a way to find a way to do this." So that was pretty cool. That's great. Any uh, big names? I know you mentioned, uh, you know, in the Cape League, a lot of big time guys in the other leagues have come through. Yeah. Anyone you encountered on, on this journey? Yeah. So uh, a lot of the guys are still kind of on the way up and, and haven't gotten there yet. Uh, the guy who is is probably the biggest name so far who's in the book. He kind of makes a cameo in the book because he, he played briefly with the Santa Barbara Foresters, uh, the team in California. Um, he, he, he did play in the game that I saw. Uh, he, his name is Keston Hira. Uh, he ended up uh, having a really good rookie season with the Milwaukee Brewers last year. He was the all-star team? He might have, yeah. yeah. He, uh, he was like a former college batting champ. And he, he ended up playing most of the summer with Team USA. 
um, that summer, the summer of 2016, which is like a barnstorming team with all the top college players. Uh, but before that, he had been injured, and he, he kind of used the time with the Foresters to like get back to back up to speed. So he played a few games with them, and he's gone on to big things. Uh, and then the Cape League, um, a couple of the guys ended up being pretty high draft picks. Uh, Colton Hawk from Stanford is a fourth round pick of the Marlins, is, is in the minors, and Quinn Brody also from Stanford. Uh, he was, I think, a, a, like a supplemental first round pick. Um, so he's he's out there as well, and there are a couple of young guys who were sort of mentioned in the book we didn't talk to that much. They were they were in their freshman years. Uh, one of them ended up being the Cape League MVP the next year, uh, and he got drafted in the first round. Oh, cool, yeah, that's really yeah, great. So it's fun to see these guys, yeah. uh, you know, get up to the next level. It's yeah, really cool. Yeah. When uh, when does the book come out? Is it to the eighth? Is that uh, officially? It's April first is the release date, okay. but people are people are already getting it and already reading it. So I'm, I'm not entirely sure how that works. I guess it's an official release date, but if you pre-ordered, you're already getting it. And I think if you if you go on Amazon right now, you can actually get it That's pretty cool. much right away. That's great. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome to see. Wonderful. Um, where else can people find the book? Is there any? Um, so it's it's also available on BarnesandNoble.com uh, and the University of Nebraska Press website. Okay. Um, and if you check out my Twitter or the book's Twitter at Summer Nine Nation, um, there's a coupon code where you can get it for a pretty good discount on the Nebraska website. Oh, cool. Uh, and then still not entirely sure where it's going to end up bookstore wise. Uh, but if you, again, follow on Twitter, uh, I'm sure we'll have updates on yeah. that as we go along. Given any thought to a second book? Is that in the cards? Uh, I've, got, I've got some ideas. Yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. Uh, I, I do have a, we have a nine-month-old baby at home, mm-hmm. so it's, uh, I'll pray a little dicey right now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, maybe sometime down the line. I definitely have some ideas. Uh, and I would love to. It was a really cool experience. Um, just, just doing it and, and traveling and... Obviously, the writing is tough and challenging to like, get through it at times, but the finish, seeing the finished product definitely makes it worth it. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be everywhere. Yeah, it was cool. The the box, the big box of books that they send, the like author copies came last week, and that was a that was a really neat moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, Will Gagan, author of Summer Baseball Nation, uh, sports editor of the Independent and Beacon alum, you yes. can follow him on Twitter at Rody Will. He's one of the best in the business here in Rhode Island. Will, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. We're back. And uh, before we continue, I'd be remiss not to say happy St. Joseph's Day to everyone out there. A belated happy St. Patrick's Day. Hope people have uh, been able to enjoy these... uh, these days to the best of their ability. They're obviously both pretty important cultural uh, occasions here in Rhode Island. Um, so Jake, mm. Tom Brady. It's tough. Leaving it's tough town. Things. Tell us, uh, you're, you're a, a, an avid sports guy and I uh, am. have some sports reporting background. Tell us, uh, what, where are you at with this? Not unexpected. I believe, you know, there were every sports reporter across town, nationally, internationally, whatever it was, they were saying kind of brace for this. It doesn't look like they're coming. He's coming back. And really, it looks like it came down to Bill Belichick didn't have any interest in bringing Tom Brady back, which I, which sounds just like blasphemy to a lot of New England sports fans that the offer really wasn't even extended. It really wasn't a conversation held between the two of them. And it's disheartening. 
Uh, again, not unexpected because we've seen stories of their sort of frosty relationship in the past few years. Uh, more of a working relationship, really, between the two of them. It's it's sad, and a lot of I saw a lot of fans reacting a little more uh, <clears throat> uh, hateful than I was. Mm-hmm. But I'm never gonna fault a player for chasing the money. I don't care how rich they are. You always want to chase the money. That's you go play for what you're worth. And as strange as it's gonna be seeing Tom Brady in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform, I so hope they bring back the creamsicle throwbacks because those will be <laughs> sick. If he's in the the Captain Jack and mm-hmm. the or whatever the captain whatever it is and uh, the the captain and the the creamsicles yeah. that would look sick. But you know what? He's gonna have some nice weapons over there. Bruce Arians is a nice laid back mm-hmm. cool coach, and uh, I think he's gonna enjoy the twilight years of his career. Stays on the East Coast, and I'm sh- I know he's listening. I know he's a big fan. Of Radio Beacon. So, shout Tom, big shout out. Thanks so much for the 20 years knowing <laughs> It's all I've ever known as a Patriots fan. Um, and that being said, looking forward to the Jarrett Stidham, Jacoby Brissett, Cody Kessler, Brian Hoyer, whoever ends up coming here. And I don't know, maybe just go 2 and 14 and get Trevor Lawrence and restart the dynasty. Might just be what you want to do. Hey, you never, you never know. Wouldn't count them out. I mean, this is, I guess, the ultimate test now of whether the the Belichick system can with, uh, withstand, you know, it's withstood the departure of a lot of other yeah. big names and, and, and real yeah. guys that were integral to the success of the franchise, but this is obviously a different uh, level of that. You know, they've, they've lost a lot of other guys this offseason, yeah. just, not just Tom Brady, and they didn't get a lot of cap space out of it either, so it's, it's going to be a tough year for them, and especially since for the first time in a couple of decades they're not the favorite in their division going into the year. They're not even the second favorite in their division going into the year. It's probably the Bills, then the Dolphins, then the Patriots, and I don't think anybody counts the Jets as anything because they're never competent. So as long as Adam Gase is their head coach, they won't be going anywhere. So right now you're looking at, at best, a third-place finish in your division, and you better hope that Bill Belichick is good enough to lead you to a division title or a playoff spot because right now the talent just is not there. Hope, hope springs eternal. Got it. You never know. You I guess never know. I guess you never know. But There's the ways to go. Provided there is an NFL season this year. Yeah, it's. I was gonna say now the yeah. you know for such a, it's kind of a. I think it's fair to say that baseball and football are kind of kings of this, uh, this region in terms of attention. Although there, there's a, strong, certainly strong fan bases for the Celtics and the Bruins, but uh, yeah. uh, both yeah. of those franchises are are uh, on upward trajectories, and now the. The Red Sox and the, the Patriots have lost, you know, kind of their iconic players, and yeah. uh, uh, let, a lot of uncertainty going forward. And I think them. "lost" is a, a word you have to use lightly because they traded Mookie Betts from the Red Sox, sure, and sure. Tom Brady. They barely made an effort to try to keep. Yeah. So yes, they lost them, but this leaves the door open for the Celtics and the Bruins to, to take over with their young superstars and in, in Jason Tatum and David Pasternak, mm. respectively. Those yeah. two guys are. Doors are open for them if they want. I think Tatum, if you had to make me pick, just because the Celtics are probably a more notable t- team in, in Boston, Man, if you're I, looking at the future face of Boston sports, it's probably Jason Tatum. That's just my opinion. I know they had been on a, a little bit of a downswing right before all this, but I was loving the Celtics season. It's a real yeah. it's a real bummer. Watching Tatum break out was really something. So yeah, that's another uh, disappointing. He'll uh, still be there when they come back. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. He'll yeah. still be there when they if the if they come back this year, but if not, don't worry. Next season they'll. Uh, by the way, just so I can get on the record, I'm skeptical the NBA season restarts. I don't think it's gonna. Yeah, happen. no, I, I don't think it's happening. I, I think we're in this for the long haul. 
It's yes. going to be a little while before things get back to any semblance of normal. Quick hit. So who's your, what's your prediction uh, who will be the quarterback of the New England Patriots? Quick hit. Quarterback, New England Patriots. I'd, I'd love to see Jacoby Brissett get another chance here. I just don't think it's going to happen with cap space and stuff. So I think it's just going to be Stidham. It's just going to roll with Stidham. They drafted him. Give him a chance and see what they got, which is probably not a lot, but we'll see. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that they signed uh, Teddy Bridgewater somehow. They make so that gonna, happen. Even though Carolina's... Even though Carolina's got the door open on them, and uh, they, they, oh, did they? I, I think so. I've been so untuned. No, it's uh, it's all good. I mean, I think really the only other options out there for them are Cam Newton and Jameis Winston. Uh, so uh, maybe hey, maybe they take a flyer on Jameis. Uh, probably you're probably right. I'm going take with. a flyer. <laughs> good. Oh. He would be. I want to say entertaining, but that wouldn't be the correct word for it. He would be something to watch. In God, it meant what? What's the the buzz the buzz for like immense upside potential? Oh yeah, uh, high risk, high reward yeah. player for sure. Uh, well, maybe not even, maybe like high risk, like medium reward yeah. player. But yeah, that's my prediction. It'd make them a lot of fun to watch anyway, if, if maddening. But uh, oh, maddening would be a perfect yeah. word for it. Yeah. Well, that's uh, you know we'll see how things shape up. Again, uh, I guess to to draw things to a close here, uh, just ask everybody you know stay safe, um, please. Uh, Follow, stay, stay tuned into what health officials are saying and, uh, and, and protect yourselves as much as possible. Hopefully, you know, hopefully at some point here, the, the, they're able to get to a point where, um, some of these social distancing measures can be eased a bit through, you know, better data and, and a better sense of how extensively this virus has spread in, uh, in Rhode Island. But, um. Until then, just, you know, we're doing it here, and uh, we'll be with you through the process. Again, you know, follow us online, cranstononline.com, warwickonline.com, johnsonsunrise.net. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. We are working uh, to give you the most current information, particularly on that really hyper-local level. Um, there's a, we've, we've got a running calendar, or, or digest up, I should say, of... Uh, you know, how different community groups, businesses, organizations are reacting to all this, announcements from them. Um, uh, so check that out on our websites. Thank you for, for sticking with us, for reading, for, uh, for your support. Um, you know, reach out to us. Let us know what's going on on, on your end. Um, we're looking to tell, uh, you know, stories of importance and unique stories during this time so if you've got something that you think um people want to hear about or that you need looked into you let, uh, you let us know go to our websites find our contact um before i forget a special hat tip to my friend john schmettinghoff for the uh the music that's, that's my right old, my old buddy he's living Great in music. florida now and uh we used to play music a lot together so hat tip to him for some of the tunes that we've been using on the podcast um, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week uh, with another edition. This is Radio Beacon. Have a great week.